Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you do love us. Thank you that you are good to us, that you are kind, and that you are compassionate. Lord, thank you that you love us despite us. But thank you also that you are changing us to be more like you. Please do not stop changing us. Father, may we, may we know that you are and know that you are good and know that you are with us. May we hold fast to your promises. May we hold fast to your truths. And now as we come to your word, please speak to us. Help us to, to understand what you say. Help it to encourage us, Lord. Help it to challenge us as well, but, but mostly this morning I pray that you would encourage us. That you would give us a, a deeper vision, a deeper seeing of you, that we would, that we would long to know you better. Speak by your spirit, I pray. Amen. Now we've, now we've got, now we've got, um, uh, you notice the communion table this week is in the middle of the, you know what, I'm going to leave this ivory tower and steal Robin's stand. And I'll watch the coffee. didn't taste right. Thank you. I made that coffee. <laughs> she didn't have time. We have been uh, looking through um, the past few weeks uh, our series of the Beatitudes. Now, if you remember, this is the first major sermon of Jesus uh, that he taught. He went up a mountain. He sat down. The crowds gathered around him. And he started speaking. And the Beatitudes is the it's kind of like the opening salvo for Jesus' sermon. It's a reasonably long sermon, about two chapters. Um, so if you're ready, we'll, we'll start and we'll do the rest of that now. We'll go for a day or two. Let's not. But let's recap what we've seen so far. Jesus uh, sat down, his disciples gathered around him, his followers, and he began to teach them. And he said, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven, he says. And we looked at that a few weeks back and we said, well, what is this whole blessing business? And we see that, that when the Bible speaks of, of blessing someone, it's, it's very similar to saying praising someone or approving of someone. That's why, that's why we can bless God. And we often sing songs about blessing God. And, and what we're really saying when we say, bless God, O my soul, we are saying, may all that I am praise him. May all that I am say, wow, God, you are the bestest. I, I approve of you, not in a oh, nice God, but in a, wow, you are the bestest thing, person, God ever, God. Um, and so we see there, the first thing that God says is that, or Jesus says, God, which is God, he says, God approves. God praises those who come to him going, God, I'm spiritually bankrupt. And I love that Jesus starts with that because so often we think of religion as saying, well, you've got to be good enough. And if you're good enough, God will say, I, I give you my tick of approval. And Jesus says, no, actually, the people that God says I approve of are those who say, I cannot be anywhere near as good as you, God. I can't do it by myself. Jesus said God approves of that. and He shows his approval by saying, I'm going to give you the kingdom. 
you think you can make it on your own, you will never get there. If you know that you can't, and you go to Jesus, you will. We saw the next week that God blesses those who mourn. In other words, those who look at their lives and the sin in it and the brokenness of it, and they look at the world outside and, and how rubbish it is, and, and uh, people die, and natural disasters, and, and I yell at my wife now and again. Turn! There we go. I just did it. Mark never yells at his turtle dove, but other people do that sort of thing. <coughs> Jesus says God approves of it when people come to him going, I, I'm just brought to my knees in sorrow at the brokenness in me and in the world. And Jesus said God shows his approval of that sort of people by saying, I will comfort you. I will not, I will not let you stay in that forever. I will give you forgiveness. And I will tell you that I'm going to make everything new and all the brokenness of this world is being undone. That's why Jesus came. We read, we read on and we saw the next week that God blesses those who are humble. In other words, those who know that their status is safe in God. So often in this world we think that we have to fight to keep our position. And if that means pushing you down, then I will do that. And I will, I will push myself forward. And aren't I a fantastic gentleman? And aren't I, I do this and I do this. And here's my CV though I've just met you two seconds ago. And, and Jesus says, God approves not of the proud, not of the arrogant, but of those who go, I'm a child of God. I am I'm a beggar who's been given a kingdom. And my status doesn't depend on what you think of me. My status doesn't depend on what I've got. My status depends on Jesus giving it to me. And so I can put you first. I can treat you uh, with meekness and kindness. Jesus said, God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the whole earth. I can give up everything I have and I will get everything. We read on and said, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice or righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Again, the way religion often works, we say, well, God blesses, God approves of those who are good. But the very first one says, well, God approves of those who know they're not good. And we saw as we looked at that week that, that I think Jesus is saying that God approves of those people who come to him and say, um, God I just long to be good like you. I long for righteousness. I long for that in myself. I long for that in the world. I long for justice. I, I'm not there yet, but I long for it. I, it's like I haven't eaten for, for a week and I'm just desperate for that bite of food. Jesus says God approves of those people. And he shows his approval by satisfying them. One day, all the injustice of this world will be undone. One day the, the black spots that are on my life will be taken away when Jesus returns. God blesses those who are merciful, says Jesus last week to us, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those this week whose hearts are pure. 
for they will see God. It's a very long verse. Thank you. Okay. It hasn't gone. That's fine. You guys can remember that. It's so long and complicated. When we think of, uh, well, let, let's throw it open to the audience, to the congregation. Because in this church, I'm sorry, you don't get to be an audience. You get to be participants. Does anyone want to tell me, when you hear of, of a, a pastor getting up and speaking about purity, what do you think of? Motives. Motives. God. God. Jesus' blood. Jesus' blood. Most of you don't think anything at all? No? I don't know. I, I think you guys have, uh, have got an interesting response there. Because I, I think when we, well, in, in many religious circles, even many Christian circles, when we speak of purity, the first thing that comes to our head is moral uprightness. And we especially tend to think, uh, especially we limit it down to sexual purity. But Jesus has already speak, spoken, speaking, about God's pleasure for those who long for righteousness. In other words, Jesus has already dealt with the fact those who long to be holy as God is, is holy. And I, and I think when he speaks about here God approving, blessing those whose hearts are pure, yes, being morally upright is part of that, but... But I think this has got more going on than just acting right. Than just doing the right thing. Than just behaving properly. Matthew chapter 15. Uh, have a read of it when you get home. Uh, Jesus has a go at the Pharisees. I love the fact that Jesus has a go at people. <coughs> Some people have this picture of Jesus as this, you know, ah. Oh, glowy thing around his head and, and wouldn't say boo to a goose. But no, Jesus meets these Pharisees in, in uh, Matthew chapter 15 and he has a go at them. They look at him and they go, Jesus, what is wrong with you? Your followers are eating without washing their hands. And we go, oh wow, that's, that's really unsanitary. But for them it wasn't about sanitation, it was about you know ceremonial. You've got to wash off all the symbolic dirt and dust and sinfulness and ickiness and then you're going to be ready and God's going to smile at you because hey dazzling hands Jesus looks at them and he goes what is wrong with you guys you are so worried about cleaning the outside and you look inside it's pathetic in fact it goes as far it says you guys are like beautifully whitewashed Tombs. Now, whitewash is pretty. Whitewash is really nice. Um, the Cape Dutch houses in South Africa have got these beautiful farmhouses, thatch roofs, and I think they're whitewashed on the outside probably. And it just looks, it's this picture postcard thing. And Jesus looks at me and goes, You guys are like picture postcards, but inside you've got dead bones. And it's horrible. And who wants to go inside? Because it's disgusting. Says Jesus to them, in effect, you are hypocrites. You go back a bit further, you go to the book of Malachi, 
the story of God speaking to his people through the prophet Malachi. And, and if you read through it, it's a short book, read through it. It's all about the prophet saying, um, you claim to be for God, but you're actually not. You do all the right things on the surface, but that's all it is, surface level stuff. The thing is, and this is what Jesus is getting at, I think, is that God looks deeper than just what we do and how we act. Um, I was reading uh, with Matthew, we, we read through 1 Samuel chapter 16 uh, this week, and we came to that bit where where the prophet Samuel is being sent to choose the second king of uh, Israel, and he, he gets all these sons of Jesse lined up in front of him, and he sees the first one, and it's like, wow, this is a kingly figure. And God says, <laughs> God, joking. I think his name was Eliab. Not him. He goes down all the line, and Samuel's just like, going, wow, these guys are getting smaller and more pathetic. And then eventually they're all up, and he says, Jesse, don't you have another son? He said, yeah, I've... David, he's out looking after the sheep. You know, he's, he's that guy in the fields. He's actually, the Bible says, a good-looking, handsome young man. But, but God says to Samuel amidst all of this, He says, Samuel, don't look at the outside. Because I don't look at what's outside. I look at the heart. I look what's inside people. I look beyond the whitewashing. That same King David knew that that it was only those, he, he wrote a psalm, Psalm 24, he says that only those who have clean hands and a pure heart can approach God. And David himself knew that his heart wasn't all that pure. Uh, there was uh, some horrible things that he did. And he wrote Psalm 51, and he, he wrote in there, he said, Oh God, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. When Jesus speaks here in this beatitude about having a pure heart, yes, it includes living uprightly. It includes living a godly life. But, but that's, that's a consequence of having a pure heart. How we live comes out of having a pure heart. A pure heart doesn't come out of how we live. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 says that if you want to know a good tree from a bad tree, you tell it by the fruit. But the fruit only grows because it comes from a good tree. Do you get, I forget the exact fruit he says, but do you get apples from a thorn bush? He says, no, you, the tree is what makes the fruit. The heart is what sets the tone. Today, uh, when we think of our hearts, we think either scientifically as the organ that pumps blood around the body and beats a certain number of beats a minute. Um, the romantic among you, my wife, your wife, Mark, probably, are sitting here going, she's going she's to be so angry with you for putting her into that. She says, she doesn't say, but one says, the heart is the romantic. Oh. Oh. Weak at the knees. Um, the seat of the emotions I feel with my heart. Biblically, though, the, the heart is more than that. Um, the heart sort of sums us up. When we speak about our heart, we're talking, yes, about our emotions, but we're also talking about our will. 
We're talking about our thinking. We're talking about our whole being. We're talking about all of us. Um, this week, the last few weeks, I have found the most fantastic YouTube channel. It's got about 118 videos, and they start from hydrogen, and they go all the way through unobtainium to something else, which I can't remember. All of the elements of the periodic table. Yes, I am that sad. And it's fantastic. They, they show you a sample of the metal, and they show you how it comes, and they do some experiments with it. And, and it's, it's really, really fascinating watching. One of the things they point out, though, especially with, with some of the elements, is how difficult it is to get a pure sample of that element. Because they tend to be mixed in with other things. Um, so you get plutonium mixed with uranium. Or you get copper mixed with something else. Or I'm no chemist. I didn't even study it at high school. Silver and lead. Silver and lead mixed together. There we go. But what you've got to do is you've got to separate out, separate out the silver from the lead. Because if I give you a piece of silver and half of it is lead, you're not going to be very impressed. You're probably going to get lead poisoning. You really want to be able to say, this is silver. This is all silver. This is nothing but silver. This is pure silver. Now, it's really interesting. They show you some of the, the sheets when you get a thing, and they all have 0.0001% of something that they couldn't get out. This Greek word, translate here as, as pure, uh, Barclay says it used to be used in those days for clear water for unalloyed metals, so the pure metal, for um, unmixed feelings, for, for that sort of things. And so I want to suggest that as with a pure metal, a, a pure heart is a heart that is undivided. A, a heart where every part is focused on the one thing. And remember we've said that a heart in those times is more than just our emotions, more than just the blood pumper. It's our whole being, every single bit of us. <clears throat> John Stott, the great thinker, said that purity of heart isn't so much about inward uprightness as it is about singleness of heart. No matter what angle you see a pure heart from, it looks like a pure heart. If you see it from God's angle, which is the angle that sees everything, it's a pure heart. If you see it from John's angle, it's a pure heart. From Mark's angle, it's a pure heart. If you see it from the angle of your friends, it's a pure heart. If you see it as from the angle of your co-workers, it's the same pure heart. If, if you see it from the angle of your family, it's the same pure heart. Whatever angle you look at it, whatever vantage point you have looking at this life, as this person, everyone sees a pure heart from whatever angle is a pure heart. You can't circle around me as I turn around and Mark says, Ah! I see a bit that's not pure. A pure heart is pure. I'm, I'm really pushing this, aren't I? And let, let's just, it probably goes without saying, but let's just say it anyway. When, when the Bible says that God approves or blesses a pure heart, um, it, it helps if the pureness is of godliness. Because you can be pure evil, and I'm pretty sure God won't approve of that. Uh, if you're pure evil, you're probably... The devil, which would be awkward. One of the most abundant 
elements on the face of the planet, you didn't know you were getting a chemistry talk today, is carbon. But the amazing thing about carbon is that it's used, it's the building block of life. Um, but if you structure it just the right way, it goes pure and transparent. If you have nothing but carbon in exactly the right crystal lattice, you get diamond. From whatever angle, you get nothing but pure carbon, but it is, it is totally transparent. Sort of, it does refract, but ignore that. Would you buy... You love your turtle dove, don't you? Goes without saying. Would you buy your turtle dove a diamond that had a lump of coal in the middle? Because <laughs> coal is carbon. She <coughs> would be ungrateful if she didn't take it. She would be ungrateful if she didn't take it. That's the carbon inside of her. A person. I like the boy. <laughs> a person with a pure heart is like a flawless diamond, where all of their life is set and focused on God. Deuteronomy 6 verse 5, the Shema says um, that this sort of person loves the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great thinker of the last century, uh, said that blessed are those who are pure, not only on the surface, but in the center of their being and at the source of every activity. Now some of you are probably thinking, they're going, okay Nick, so you're saying a pure heart is, is a pure life, is a life that is set entirely on God, that is structured by God, and it's so structured by God that, that no matter what angle you look at it, it's, it's almost transparent and, and everything is affected by that, and my thinking and my willing and my doing, but you know what, there's, there's real life as well. Nick. There's real life as well. What about, what about just all the everyday stuff? You're telling me, structure my whole life around God? But yes. Have you ever been looking out for a new car? I've uh, I read a sermon illustration, um, and it actually reminded me a little bit of, of my wonderful wife, who's coming up a lot today. Um, Taryn loves Suzuki Swifts. I have never looked at a Suzuki Swift in my life. But as we drive down the road, it's incredible how often it's just, oh, there's a Swift, there's a Swift, there's a Swift, there's a Swift. Taryn's much better at spotting them than I am because she loves the car. And so as we drive, she goes, wow, the Suzuki Swift really is a nice car. Go, really? Where is it? <laughs> but when your life is all about one thing, you see that one thing wherever you go and whatever you do. And this uh, sermon I read by Wilkerson, he said, when your life is all about God, you see God everywhere. Um, you see your work as a chance to glorify God by working hard for Him, as if you were working for Him. You, you see your money as a way that you can, as you can bless others and, and work for the kingdom. You see your marriage as this miniature metaphor of, of Jesus and His church. You see... Your difficult times as a chance to trust Him more. You see those around you as, as people that God loves. You, you see the washing up as a chance to, to think about how good God is to have given you clothing. 
You see the rain as an opportunity to praise him for a roof. If, if everything about you is centered and focused on God, then, then you can see God's hand in everything that happens. And you can trust him in the good times and the bad times. So I guess what I'm trying to say today is that God approves of it when there is no compartmentalization in our lives. Because it's so easy to, to say, well, you know, here is my, my faith and my trust, and this is me following Jesus, but, but over here is my work, and uh, over here is my conversation. And my jokes are sometimes a bit off, but yeah, that's okay, because here's conversation, here's my faith. And, and over here, faith's over there, so... Actually, let's go over here. Over, over here is my entertainment. These are the books I read, the movies I watch, the things I do to entertain myself. There's my faith, here's my lifestyle. There's my public Christian life. There's my public life away from the church. Here's my Christian life, here's my private life. Now, I know none of you ever do any compartmentalization. If you need some tips on what it looks like, come and ask me. A pure heart is one that has God center stage everywhere, but is that true of me? Is it true of you? I think Jeremiah... God's prophet, the crying prophet, had it right where he said in chapter 17 verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all other things and beyond cure. And then Jesus goes and says in Matthew chapter 15 again, out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false testimony and slander. And you just go, wow, this heart is pathetic. Talk about a pure, unspoiled piece of carbon as opposed to diamond. Jesus is describing Christians as pure. And, and for those of you that haven't been to one of these Beatitude sermons before, uh, what makes them interesting is that Jesus isn't saying, you guys must do this. Jesus is saying, this is what Christians are like. And those of us who come and and sit here and say, yeah, I'm a Christian. We read and we go, oh, Jesus is saying Christians are pure and every part of their life is set in God. And, and whatever angle you look at them, it's all the same. And, and they tell the same sort of jokes in church as they tell out of church. And they, they're quite happy if you walk in while they're watching a movie because, you know what, that's fine. And, and, you know, all these things. By the way, I know that there are people here who weren't allowed to watch movies. That's not what I'm saying. It's the sort of movies you watch. Jesus does, however, in just a few verses from here, verse 48 of chapter 5 of Matthew, say to us, I want you to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And Jesus was God. Jesus was, was also man. He was the only one who, who really had a pure heart. Every single part of Jesus' being was set around God. Deliberately set. 
where as he sat in the garden before he went to be executed for us, he said, God, not, not what I want, but what you want. You set the direction. You structure my life. My problem is that there are so many of my words and my actions that that cover up rather than reflect what is inside. Don Carson says, asks us a question. He says, what do you think about when your mind slips into neutral? What do you want more than anything else? What and whom do you love the most? My heart is divided. There are many areas, and I can speak only for myself, but I suspect most of you are the same. In fact, I suspect all of you are the same. There are many areas where pleasing myself outweighs pleasing God. There are some impurities that are the result of years of knowing and sometimes not doing rebellion. The other thing, I had an eye checkup the other day. My eyes are fine, but does anyone else get floaters in their eye? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, isn't that horrible? Every now and again you get this little white speck of boop, 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 boop. And you shake your head and it goes boop, 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 boop. <laughs> Hours of fun. <laughs> But when I first got it, it was like, what is this thing? And it goes away. Uh, some, some of the cover-up, some of the cover-up, some of the divided, dividing things, some of the lumps of carbon within me are permanently, permanently there. Others of them just sort of pop up, and then it's like they go away. And they don't really go away, I just, I just learn to see through them. That is my problem. That is, I think, our problem. Jesus says, and this is why it's a problem, Jesus says, the pure in heart will see God. And in fact, all of these promises are, are slightly emphatic. Only the pure in heart will see God. Only those with no lumps of unstructured carbon will see God. Hebrews 12 says the same thing in verse 14. It says, make every effort to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Well, so what? I've lived my whole life without seeing God. What's the big deal? Well, if you don't see Him, it, it means you will never be with Him forever. When He returns, you will not see Him. You will be away from His presence. You will spend an eternity away from Him. And if God is the one who made us, God is the one who defines us. And we will spend an eternity being less than what we were made to be. We will be in heaven. Beside which, God is God, and God is the most incredible person ever. And the best thing you could ever see is Him. He's so amazing that your eyes at the moment aren't good enough to see Him. In fact, uh, the, 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 all the dirt and gunk and... and unstructured carbon within our lives, God said to Moses, Moses, if anyone sees me, they'll die. They can't look at this, this, this transparent brilliance that is me. And yet Jesus comes here and says, those who are pure in heart, who are as transparent as God, will see Him. Yes, uh, the pure in heart 
begin to glimpse God, when, when God is all about them, when, uh, all about everything in their lives, they start to see glimpses of what God is doing and what God says. But, but ultimately the promise is that those who are pure in heart will see Jesus, will see the Father face to face. 1 John chapter 3 is, is all about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Ultimately, it's the pure in heart who can say with Job, who, who is introduced in the story as, as a man after God's own heart, a, a man of pure uprightness. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end, He will stand upon the earth, and even after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see Him with my own eyes. I, and not another. How my heart yearns within me. I mean, What's, what's the big deal? Why does he yearn so much? He yearns because he, he longs to see God who is holy and pure and perfect. We were at a 4th uh, of July party last night. And the host was telling us all about how she had met these famous people or had seen these famous people. And was like, oh, did I tell you I met this person? You know, meeting a hero is special. Especially if you've doted on them for years and years and years. I don't know if she doted on these people or not. Imagine having your whole life devoted to God, set on God, and then meeting Him. The pure in heart will see God. Isn't that fantastic? You guys have got pathetic hearts. Isn't that horrible? Isn't that horrible? If only the pure in heart will see God, what am I going to do? How do I get this clean heart? This is a problem that has been long thought about and long promised by God. Ezekiel said this. God speaking through Ezekiel chapter 36. said, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away. And you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart. And I will give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees. And you will be careful to obey my regulations. This morning we celebrated communion where Jesus came and, and took our sins away from us washed us with his blood. All the debt paid. <coughs> and when he returned to heaven, he gave us his spirit. And we trust him, you have his spirit. What Ezekiel, what God said through Ezekiel, I will put my spirit in you. But if he's given us his spirit, what about the promise that he also gave that he would give us a new heart, tender, soft, responsive? Already those who put their trust in Jesus are saved in him, are held in his hands. His purity, his, his pure heart, his pure life is ours. He came so that he could gift us his purity. And right now, in anticipation of the day when he returns and he finally rips out this old model stony heart, and replaces it with the brand new, 
version 2.0 best ever heart. Right now he is still working on this stony heart and slowly chipping away at it and slowly transforming it from a hard stone to a soft sponge. So how do I get this clean heart? I want to see God. I want to see God. Well, first of all, let's be honest with God. God's viewpoint, remember, is the one that sees everything. I can put on a fantastic diamond display. I can stand here in the middle and I can do it. And you can go, faint. What a beautiful diamond. In fact, you could all get up there probably and go, wow, look at me. Look how I shimmer and shine. And God goes, yeah, that's fantastic for the first few layers. Then I get down to the gunk. So let's be honest with God. He knows our condition of our hearts. And let's also thank Him because He has made a way for us to be clean. In fact, Peter says in Acts chapter 15 that, that God cleans us when we trust in Him. He cleanses, cleanses our hearts through faith. Right now, we share Jesus' 100% focus on God. One day, we will be made 100% like Jesus. <coughs> and so right now, if I share in 100% devotion to God, that is, that is Jesus's, I want that to be mine as well. The only thing we can do is to cast ourselves in God's mercy and grace. And we saw last week that God approves of people to do exactly that. James, Jesus' brother, said, Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Don't just stand here and go, Yeah, I've got Jesus at 100%. And it's perfectly locked away in this compartment over here. But I've got 100% over there, so over here I'm going to go, like, la, 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 la. Uh, ooh, I'm going to tell you my joke. The worst ever movie character in the world, you can ready to laugh, Robin. And it's R2-D2 because they had to keep every word that he said. Thank you, Mark. I tried that three times this morning and it flopped every time. But you know what? You know what? We can say I've got 100% here, but over here I can beep, 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 or be rude to people or be angry, or be violent, or lust, or, you know, all of these things. James says, purify your hearts, don't compartmentalize. Yes, you are 100% pure in Jesus. But why not consciously set your mind and emotions and and will on God. Focus on His Word, the Word that cleans us in John 15 verse 3. We are not 100% pure in heart at the moment, except in Christ with His purity. But, Jesus has promised that one day, we who trust in Jesus as 100% will one day be 100% ourselves with a brand new heart. So, set on God, 
that when he returns, we will see him. We will not only see him, we will be with him. If I share in Jesus is 100% right now, and I've been promised that one day I will, I will be like him, and Jesus has promised that, then right now, I don't want to set Jesus' 100% off to the side and carry on with my life. I want that to be every part of my life. God blesses you when He is the most important person and the most important thing in your life. May you see May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you. May the Lord give you His peace and His joy. May you rest in, in the knowledge that He has done it all, that you are pure in Christ. And may He ever be changing you and structuring the carbon of your life into a beautiful diamond. And that one day you will twirl in front of Him and He will go, Wow. Even us blokes will twirl. Amen. Amen. Please don't twirl as you come up. <laughs>